0: Welcome everybody to the Swan podcast. I'm your host, Kylie Adams, and this is episode 163 of our show. I am joined this week and every week with my man, my mellow, the smooth kind of fellow, the man who drinks all the scissor. Cicero Holmes, how are you, sir? Yo,
1: the lean in northern Illinois is garbage. But if you go down <laughs> to the shy, you can get you can get that syrup. You can get that lean.
0: I don't know what the hell.
1: What the hell am I saying right now?
0: This, this sounds like every old person who is trying to find that one cool new word <laughs> right, and use it over yeah. and over and over again. Yep. Who Who's like, are you on fleek? Right. I am on fleek. <laughs> We're all fleeked. Yep. And I'm like, no, that's not the way that word works. <laughs> <laughs> you must be fleeking kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i'm also enjoying my man my mellow the smooth kind of fellow the man who makes stem look good who makes science look good who makes math look good who makes nasa look good and gaming look good it is sharif jackson of sharifjackson.com how are you sir
2: hey i'm doing fine i, I my worry now though is that some like young you know 14 year old rapper is gonna sample what cicero just said And like we're gonna hear it on the radio looped over, you know, Shah got that lean, Shah Shah got that lean. And I'm gonna blame Cicero. For some kind yeah. of auto-tune madness
0: yep. I do want I do uh, want a mumble rap version of what he said yeah yes yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: so thanks Cicero hey no problem no problem
0: I, I, know, I, I, in my dreams I do wish that we had a, a Spawn on Me album where it would just be random dumb shit that we all said oh that would, be dope. That would be dope it would be 95% you oh yeah hey, I well, know right
1: right and then when, you know what and then and then the archaeologists would find it and they would, they would. <laughs> great They'd be worshipping me worshipping me like in Bill and Ted you know. oh god it sounds
0: like it sounds like Horizon DLC yep
2: exactly. oh so you're gonna form a new society yes like you're gonna be wild stallions basically. basically yes. based on you mm-hmm. wild wild, cool. wild just,
0: <laughs> just imagine just imagine your ass just rolling around in all those landscapes that went Horizon and you have some little red haired girl just trying to snatch your ass down yeah <laughs> So oh, man? Uh, I like it. IGN yeah. gives that game a four. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, man. Yep. <laughs> anyway four. Thank you, everybody <laughs> at home uh, for listening this week and last week. Uh, we had a great show with the creative director, Ian Dallas, uh, from Giant Sparrow, talking about Edith Finch. A lot of folks really dug that show and had a bunch of fun talking about it in both social media land and in the blogosphere, which is still a thing I hear. Huh? It's over there with Black Planet and uh, <laughs> and, and what was the uh, and Net Zero? It's yes, over there.
2: Net Zero. What?
0: Net Zero was the, was not
2: the shit. Jeez. It was
0: not. It was not great. But they always had it at the grocery store, and you can buy Net Zero cards right before you went to finish your checkout. Yeah, it was free for a while too. It was the way you got your internet, yeah. which is scary. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. Again, thank you everyone for listening to the show. We definitely appreciate it. And you know, again. The feedback was so awesome, and thank you again to, to to Ian for for coming through and being amazing and hanging out with us. Uh, we have a lot of discussions in the next couple of weeks because we have E3 on the horizon. E3 is going to be pretty damn dope because both Reef and myself are going. C will not be there this year. I feel like he's le- I, I feel like he's going to be the forward correspondent. Yes. For for it's
2: yeah. always only two of us. I mean, like last year it was like just you two. and This year it's us. So,
0: yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's like it's like you can't have all three dopenesses in the same room. That's at the true. We University we
2: still or... have not all been in the same room yet. No,
0: we have. not This is some That's, bullshit. Is, I mean, it's is so really stupid, crazy. Doing this show for four years and still have not. We've all been not in the same all
2: room. been in the same room together.
0: We need to figure out a way to do a uh, a, a panel, and that'll probably be the way that we all get to do it. We got to figure out a way to all get to packs, and okay. then we'll do it. Sure. We'll bum rush somebody else's panel. And right. Just be like, no, nah, yeah. we just came here. Yo, run your panel, son. <laughs> Yo,
1: your <laughs> panel, Yo, what size your well, panel is? Well, I'm, <laughs> me, I mean... Try.
2: Let me try well, it on. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think I've shared this on the show, actually, but I will be... If you guys can make it to DragonCon... Oh, oh, during Atlanta. During, during Labor Day in Atlanta, I'll be on a panel about science diversity... Oh, uh, nice. ...with a few other folks. Uh, so if you get your... Black Behinds to Atlanta <laughs> then you'll be able to th- then, then, then all three of us can uh, be there. So
0: you know. I'll, fig- I'll figure out a way I'll see if they'll let me in yeah because do- after that whole thing with-, with Donald Glover, I don't know he got shot in the first episode or something like that <laughs> oh, oh, <my> God. God. <laughs> I got scared after seeing That's that I was absolutely like, absolutely terrible. It. I can't do it. Yeah. but this show is full of dopeness as well because we have a phenomenal guest for everyone here in Bracago, So I met this sister at the Gaming for Everyone uh, Pavilion and the kind of expo that happened at GDC this past year. So I was, again, I was doing the hosting for the fireside chats and I was greeted by, by the sister when uh, I got there and she was like, Hey, I kind of look, kind of look familiar. I may know you from somewhere. And I was like, you kind of look familiar and I may know you from somewhere. And we, Exchange info and i was like oh okay i definitely do know you from the circles that i have been talking to in kind of black Gamedom. is that if that's a thing you can put it in air quotes <laughs> and uh we started to talk for a little bit before i got a chance to get like whisked away to go co- go do the thing that i actually got there to get paid for <laughs> um and i said you know you got to come on the show you got to come hang out with us because i know that you do some dope stuff and then She gave me a card, and I was like, oh, we definitely need to have you on the show because we have, from the Xbox Research Group, Dr. Melissa Boone, who's an Xbox User User Researcher. Melissa, how are you?
3: I'm great. I'm so excited to be here.
0: So how have you been? Has everything been good? I saw you last at GDC, Mm -hmm. and it's been a couple of months now since it seems like it's been like almost... A year since we started. We <laughs> it so definitely seems like out. it's
3: been a long time, yes. <laughs> it feels like
0: it's been a very long time since we got a chance to hang out and chop, and chop it up. Um, has everything been good on your end? Have you been doing lots of cool new things in the space and, and learning and researching everything you possibly could?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been, you know, after we come back from GDC, there's like the post GDC work. And then in the meantime, definitely always doing work on games and um, ongoing stuff. So yeah, it's been great. I've been busy. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in our space. So yeah, okay. it's, it's just been an awesome time and spring in, you know, Seattle is also pretty great too. It's been raining That's a lot, true. but it's been pretty awesome. So, yeah. yeah, Awesome.
2: So, uh, speaking of your space, um, I, I think myself included don't really have a good definition of what exactly user research is in general mm-hmm. and sort of what it is specific to, to, to your work at Microsoft. So could you give sort of a kind of brief definition of what it is in general and how it applies to sort of the video game world.
3: Yeah, sure. So um, user research in games, user research in general is just about literally what it sounds like. It's doing research on the user experience, um, using different pieces of technology, interactive experiences, games. So basically any company that you can think of that has some kind of user interface, your phone, your car, your computer, they all have user researchers that work Um, to improve that experience for people. So they bring people in, they do testing um, uh, to kind of get people's feedback on what things are like, see how easy it is for people to use things. Um, Are they hitting all the points that they want to hit? Are they, you know, sort of getting people to do what they want to do? In games, it's the same thing. We want to make sure that our games are fun, that they're enjoyable by people, that people understand how to play them, that they can learn how to play them easily. Um, And so all of that is basically what the Xbox research team does. The core of the work that we do is um, usability testing and play testing. Uh, which are sort of two different modalities that we use. Um, So with usability testing, we bring people in one at a time into our labs. You know, we've got, like, the whole kit, you know, put out, like, with the one-way mirrors and, like, cameras. and Yeah, people sit on one (laughs) side, and we're on the observation room, and it's all super legit looking. People come in, they're like, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? (laughs) Um, But we literally just have people play through sections of a game. And, I mean, it could be, like, a tutorial. It could be the first mission of a game. Um, and we kind of observe and prompt people to do specific things to see how easy is it for people to actually make it through the section of the game that we want them to. Do they understand what they're supposed to be doing? Do they understand what the objectives are? Um, and so we might do that for just a chunk or, you know, a longer piece of the game. Uh, and the second modality, that's sort of our main, um, one of our two main methods is uh, play tests, where we actually bring people into the playtest labs. It's probably what people are most familiar with when they think about user testing. We bring people into a playtest lab, usually 25 to 35 people at a time. They sit down at a station, they're playing a game, and then we give them surveys so they can give us feedback on how fun was the game, how engaging was it, was the music right, the sound effects, like pretty much every aspect of the game that we can ask about. Um, we do everything from small chunks of the game that might take an hour all the way through like extended playtests where people come in for like a whole weekend. They'll come in on Sweet Saturday, around. they'll play the Non-stop first half of the game. Exactly. It's like we order the pizza, it's like stereotypical gaming. You're gonna play for the whole weekend and do nothing else um and we get a lot of great feedback from that too and we'll do that throughout the entire development cycle, so we get a lot of data throughout the development cycle of a game, so we're testing i mean we're we're pretty much there from the beginning of the development cycle of a game, and we're testing throughout the two to three year development period of a game
2: okay wow um so so is is it also i know you talked at the beginning about sort of like other devices with like with like u i s do you also do that testing with like the core UI of Microsoft stuff. So like how people react to, you know, when they roll out these betas of, you know, of the new, um, you know, of like the new UI and like, you know, going from back in the blade days to new things and like that kind of stuff. Does that also fall under your, your your purview or is it mostly like the games themselves?
3: No. Yeah. We do do testing on uh, what we call the shell or the platform. So we have a whole, team of folks who, uh, who've joined us and they do research on the platform side. So whenever there's a new operating system that rolls out on Xbox or if we're testing a new app that's on the Xbox, some kind of new experience, we do all the testing for that as well. Yep.
2: Wow, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big world.
3: Um, and then the two things that I covered are sort of like the basic level of stuff that we do. Um, but uh, there's also a variety of other kinds of things that we do. We might do interviews with people. We might do in-home visits, observations. So, you know, there's a, there's a whole world. We basically just want to understand the whole sort of user package of what it's like to play on Xbox.
0: That's so dope. That's so crazy. So, so digging back a little bit further, what got you into games in general? What, what, what was the kind of spark that started the whole the whole path down this road
3: that's a great question <laughs> uh, So, because it sounds like my my story like sounds like it doesn't make any sense um so i actually started out thinking i wanted to go into health research and that's really really where my, my career began um i got my phd in public health and psychology and that's where i started doing research in hiv Um, and, uh, drug abuse behavior, which is like, you know, my thing. I was super passionate about that. I still am really passionate about that world. Um, but I've been playing games my whole life. Like basically from the time I can remember the time I could actually hold a controller in my hand, I've been playing games with family and just, you know, going through that. So, um sometime when i was in graduate school i was like you know i love public health i love this world but i really would love to work in tech and games like that would just Mm -hmm. be awesome to like have that kind of thing um i didn't even know this field existed (laughs) until probably like halfway through graduate school i started looking for alternatives um in tech and in games um and just happened to stumble across user experience at a conference actually i went to um the American Psychological Association, and actually someone from my team, who's on my team right now, was giving a panel there about his work in games, and I was like, "That's a thing that you can do and get paid to do." I need to know more about this, um, so I started doing some more research on it online, and, and thought, and I was like, this, is sound, "This sounds really dope. Sounds really dope." Um, and so I actually didn't have any connections into the, you know, into the field at all. Um, so I got super lucky. I found a job, the job online. Like I literally just went wow. to the Microsoft website and saw that they were hiring a user researcher just at the same time that I happened to be looking for a job. And I was like, this is cool. I'll apply, but they'll probably never hire me. Cause you know, I don't have the <laughs> connections or whatever. Right. Um, I did do an internship in market research and video games at a market research company. So I think that's kind of what caught their eye right. um, mm-hmm. for it. And you know, the rest is history. I'm here. So it must've wow. been something that they liked, but that's dope. Yeah. Now, that's so dope. now, how long, how long have you been doing it? So I've been at Xbox Research for a year and a half. Oh,
1: okay. Okay, okay. cool. Now, is it, is it everything that you uh, dream- dreamt it would be and then some, uh, keeping in mind that your bosses are probably listening to this? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: so, yeah, actually, it is. I would say that it is, it's a wonderful job. It's fantastic. And I'm not just saying that because like, I do think my boss will listen to it later. Um, it really is a great job. I love it. Um, it is not exactly what I expected and I don't mean it in a bad way. I just mean that there are a lot of aspects to it that like I didn't realize would be a thing when I came here.
1: What, what are some of the challenges of, of, you know, being a user researcher?
3: So one of the major things is that, like, the world moves fast. And I mean, you guys know because mm-hmm. you guys are connected into the industry, but game development just moves fast. I mean, like, right. one week we could be deciding to do one thing, and then the next week we've changed tax completely, and... I mean, that is probably the biggest challenge is just keeping up with the pace of business and the pace of like doing doing the work and supporting the developers. Right. Um, coming from an academic background, doing research, the research moves slowly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you are not on a time crunch for anything. Um, but here, <laughs> you know, you have to meet like deadlines. You got to meet lockdown dates. You got to make sure that people have the data that they need to make the decisions that they want to make um and so that is probably the biggest surprise and the biggest challenge i love it i mean i actually came into corporate world because i wanted to do more fast-paced work i wanted to move faster Uh, but i think i was surprised at just how fast it moves (laughs) (laughs) and how much there is yeah so that was probably one of the biggest challenges um and the other one is just another one that's kind of more a difference between academia and um and working in games but it's just like when I was a, an academic scientist, I most I spent most of my day talking to other scientists, you know, and so they mm-hmm. understood the right. language, the lingo. Right. Yes. Um, now I spend most of my day talking to developers and designers and producers, and uh, we speak different languages, you know. I've started to learn their language over time and sort of learn how to talk to them, but that's – one of the biggest things, I think, when you break in and you're used to talking one language and you have to learn how to speak to, you know, you have to learn how to translate your research into actionable insights for people and the right. plain things that they can understand. Um, and I actually, I really like that, too. Um, I taught a lot when I was in grad school. Um, so it's kind of like teaching when you're talking to someone who doesn't have a background sort of in it. Um, right. it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a little puzzle game, sort of almost like, how do I explain this in the, in the cleanest terms I could possibly explain to like, make it understandable for folks. So those are two of the biggest challenges. But, you know, like I said, they're, they're not bad things They're they're things that I've come to enjoy the process of learning.
2: Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, um, what goes into actually selecting the sample of people that you guys bring in? Because I know that you mentioned that you bring in people to play games, either big groups or like. Individual, so I'm assuming that you have some kind of like a rubric behind like targeting specific ages or you know or or like things like that so like what what goes into exactly the kind of groups that you bring in to um, test for user research?
3: yeah, so it kind of depends a lot on the on the game that we're testing or the particular app or experience that we're testing um, and you know we we test all of our first party games and sometimes you know second party. Um, offerings as well and so we've got a wide range of things i mean we've got everything from like minecraft which is played by people of all ages that's actually the game that i currently work on Um, through games like halo and gears which is sort of more geared towards an adult audience so like we just have a wide spectrum and so we decide on what our sample is based on the audience that we define along with the design team Uh, so we'll talk to them we'll have a conversation and say so what's the audience looking like for this particular game what do you want the audience to look like Uh, what do you want your profile to be um, and sometimes they, they have an idea, um, and we work with that. And sometimes they're like, well, we don't know, <laughs> we need your help with that. <laughs> um, and then we help them sort of dig down into what it is they're looking for in a particular audience. So like with Minecraft, um, I've tested people of all ages. I've tested kids as young as seven. I've tested adults with that. Cause you know, pretty much everybody plays that game. Right. Um, whereas, uh, with other games, you know, we might be looking for a specific age group Um, And then experience varies too. We've brought in people who've never picked up a controller before uh, to see what it's like to acquire the skills that they need to play the game and learn how to play the game. And sometimes we bring in like the experts in a particular game because we're we're indexing on a specific experience that's really geared towards those like 3% or top 1% of players. And then sometimes we just bring people who are like in between. So it really depends on the kind of test that we're running. Yeah. So
1: one thing that I know about you, well, so you you went to grad school in uh, at Columbia, right? Mm-hmm. So in New York. Yep. yep. And uh, and you you did your undergrad at Spelman. I did. Right. So where? So uh, um, where did you grow up? I'm not trying to pick you up in the you know in the bar or anything, <laughs> but. So, no that's okay yeah.
3: <laughs> no that's great i feel like it's it's context right, right, right. so uh i was born in new york actually oh, okay. um and i lived there until i was about 12 and then i moved down to atlanta oh. um, and oh, okay. stayed there until i finished college so oh, okay well both
1: so all right so basically you were a new Yorker, and and your family basically did went to one of the two locations that new Yorkers go Yes, either Atlanta <laughs> or, or Florida. Very true. So, so um, okay, all right, right on. Um, so so you you wound up going to Spelman. Um, how have you found and and you know it's interesting that you talk about the contrast between academia and and the corporate world. Uh, I started in the corporate world in in a startup um, professionally, and then when I moved to Chicago, I went into academia. Just kind of by happenstance, and it was it was interesting to see the difference not only between uh, working in New York and then working in Chicago, but working in Chicago in academia um, was it was super super slow, and and then going back into the corporate world, it you know it's like okay yeah this is what I'm used to. Um, you you're at Spelman, it's an all, HBCU, you come out. How has the transition been from being around us all of the all of the time to being around you know everyone and having to integrate you know both uh your your intellectual your cultural intellectualism um as well as as your professionalism
3: oh I like that question uh I thought a lot about this actually um <laughs> just because I think going to an h b c u like right. You sort of think about that a lot, right? They right. talk about yeah. it in classes and stuff. And then when mm-hmm. you when you leave, you realize, like, wow, this is actually real life now. I have to put it into practice. Um, I think one of the things I've had to get used to um, both in, in grad school in Columbia and here is, like, when you go to an HBCU, Black issues, cultural issues, just just part of the curriculum. Like, you don't right. have to take a Black 101 class to, like, learn <laughs> about Black people. Uh, it's, like, in every 101 class. It's in all the 303 classes, right? Right, um, right? And there's also this level of understanding that sort of everybody shares. You have a shared cultural background. Right. You've got a shared, um, you know, you guys share experiences. There's yeah. things that you all know. Um, that's not the case when you go into a more diverse environment, whether that's right. a predominantly white environment, which is more like what Seattle is, or whether that's a more diverse environment like New York um and so i've had to kind of get used to that like kind of get used to talking to people and not necessarily understanding what i'm talking about like if i right. reference something from black twitter and they're like what is that i haven't seen that yet right. <laughs> or like you know people asking questions about my hair or like, you right. know just different right. things like right. that i've had to get used to that um mm-hmm. and i i will say i think you you end up in places for a reason and so i feel like that transitional period through new york where that was more diverse was right. really good preparation for being right. in a place that's mostly white um, because um, I did learn how to deal that much earlier and I still had like much more of a community there that I could run back to and be like, do you yeah. understand what this person just said to me? Or, like, uh-huh. what just happened? Um, so that I've gotten sort of prepared for that kind of environment experience here. Um The other thing that I've had to get used to is like as the only being the only one in a lot of situations. And sometimes I look around like, you know, a 300 person room and I literally am the only black person in the room is that I've had to use my voice. Um, That's kind of what I'm here for. Right. Is to be that voice and to be the representation. And that doesn't mean that I always want to be like the black person to like tell you what all black person believe but at least Mm -hmm. to give people a different perspective of like okay this is something that you might want to think about that you hadn't thought about before because you don't have that perspective so just getting better at using that sort of using my voice in that way um and speaking up because there really is nobody else besides me sometimes to to speak Mm -hmm. up and be that voice
2: yeah yeah so so i i want i want want to um jump on the hbcu stuff for a little bit longer so i know that that like you and C both went to HBCUs and Trojan stand
1: up, baby. And,
2: uh, you know, and like, I went to like historically Brown college and university, um, and <laughs> we, you know, and so like HBCUs have been in the news a lot lately. There's been a lot of questions about funding. Like we had all the HBCU presidents go up to the white house. Um, we had most, yeah. most like recently at like, uh, Bethune Cookman, like the secretary of like mm-hmm. education, who said earlier that HBCUs are a good example of school choice, was like boo <laughs> during her entire speech at the uh, commencement. So I'm I'm truly really curious to to uh, both like and uh, C, like how how are you guys feeling about like the state of sort of HBCUs in the mainstream conversation, um, you know, in in general.
3: Yeah, I mean, do you want to go first? Uh, no, I'll let
2: I'll let you I'll let you go
1: first, Melissa. <laughs> you are the guest um,
3: so i when the when the president's first went up to the white house and took that picture and had those conversations i was like i'm pretty optimistic i've been known as an optimistic person amongst my friends so my first reaction was like well maybe they really thought they were going to get something out of this like you know we need visibility <laughs> we need money like right you know, we need support from administration. So maybe they thought like, you know, connection. I was actually defending it. Like some of my friends were like, nah, I'm done. Like they can, you know, forget about my alumni support. And I was like, no, we got to continue to support. Like maybe this is really just to get connection and visibility. But especially with the shaping up of like the DeVos invitation to BCU and like how that turned out. I was like, okay, now the tide is starting to turn. I'm like, well, maybe (laughs) this isn't really going the way that I thought it was going to go, right? They're not... I feel like in some ways, um, you know, it's it's really a hard – it's a hard way to go. I guess I can kind of understand where the administration is coming from, that they're trying to make connection and trying to represent with the administration – with the, you know, Trump administration. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, your students your, your, is your responsibility and, uh, you know, they have their right to, to speech and to, to saying how they feel about this and some of the reaction that the administration was having to the way the students were protesting, uh, you know was not the most positive reaction that they could have had it was kind of stifling their rights to sort of feel the way that they wanted to feel about their commencement and i mean you know hbcu commencement is a celebration a lot of these people are the first people in their family to graduate from college blood sweat and tears go into this and then they get there and they're like this person who doesn't even understand my heritage and culture and my school is talking to me and trying to you know make herself look better on my back i can i can understand I can kind of understand where both sides are coming from. I can definitely understand more the student side because that's where I've been before. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I know how I would feel if that were to happen at my commencement. Um, I, I can see, I think that they maybe had good intentions to begin with. Um, and I don't know. I think that it's it's uh, it's a weird way for HBCUs to come back into the mainstream spotlight. That's, that's how I feel about it.
1: Oh, well, that was so well put. And, and uh, while you were speaking, I don't know if you noticed, but I was cheesing over here. <laughs> right? and and the reason that i was cheesing is because uh reef and i have ha- had this conversation earlier today mm-hmm. and you you mirrored my sentiments that we that i had mm-hmm. then almost to the letter mm-hmm. um that you know the so there is there's a weird dichotomy with being um part of an hbcu
3: mm-hmm. and
1: and that is that we we are fearless to celebrate our culture
3: yeah
1: um but at the same time we'll be the first one in line trying to get funds so that we can continue to do this Mm -hmm. and 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 sometimes in doing that we will sell ourselves out just to just to get that dime because that dime is so important to us For 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 our, our sustainability. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate from the administrative side that these types of things happen. But I understand the necessity to have these things happen. But it's, it, it's just a it's just a bad look. So everything that happened as a result of this commencement at Bethune Cookman mm-hmm. um, and shout out to y'all um, shout out to the the administrators cuz you, you i mean you had to do what you had to do mm-hmm. but you but you 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 had to be aware of who you were inviting yes yeah when when you when you sent the invitation because what she was saying and what she had to say about HBCUs was known to you it wasn't you know that wasn't hidden she made that statement in public mm-hmm. um, but props to you the students for uh, booing, um, you know, like you you're being disruptive at that point. like if she's gonna speak, let her speak. but everyone and you know those people that stood up and turned around and turned their back to her, that speaks volumes. That spoke so much louder than any booze ever could have. if that imagine if that entire student body that was graduating, all those black and brown faces, those men and women, brothers and sisters, if they stood up as one and turned their back on her, oh my gosh, that's and Bill
0: O'Reilly would have been mad. Yeah.
1: Oh well, <laughs> he would have, he would have probably tried to sleep <laughs> on one of them. Allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> uh, but but um, but, but uh, you know, that's exactly what. So those students that stood up and turned their back they earned that education they 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 came and you know they went to B- bcu and they earned and understood exactly what they were supposed to get out of being there
3: yep Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's true mhm that's
0: true yeah it's one of those it's one of those cool kinds of you know moments where you in the back of your mind when you see it happen, mm-hmm. and because we, weird thing is, I saw like a bunch of different videos all over the place, and then I saw like the one main one that got passed around a lot. And I was just in the back of my head, you could just hear lift every voice. <laughs> 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 and I was like, I threw my little fist up at work, and they was like, Kali, what's what wrong with doing? you? And I was like, What does that mean? Is he is he wilding? Right, right, yeah, <laughs> <think> right now, <laughs> Is he woke
3: right now? I was
0: like, Yes, I'm woke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah
3: yeah I remember, yeah, but it's, but it's great yeah i remember scrolling through like my you know news feed and seeing the video being like yes yeah. yes the struggle is real do right. it right. so i was so yeah. excited about it i was like yeah take a stand like literally taking a stand but like right. for real you know show how you feel don't let that pass right.
0: and they spent their money yeah. Hey, yeah. Right. It's not like they gave you that education for free. <laughs> no, they,
3: they did not.
0: <laughs> they did not. So I, I get to I get to boo, I get to yell, I get to do whatever I want. And give me my diploma don't mail it to me. <laughs>
3: exactly. I want you to put it into my hand right now. <laughs> right. In right this moment. For, real, for, real.
0: for real. So
1: uh oh uh, oh, I I have to ask this question. So we 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 uh you know the copy from the hip hop conversation. Mm-hmm. What was your first gaming love? Uh,
3: like, love, love? Like, this like, is the what, moment. What was the,
1: what was the thing that made you say, this is something I'm going to
3: do forever? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it was... Ah, thats It was definitely in the 64 era, I would have to say. Like, I was gaming before then, and I think that... It's partially time-based, too, because, like, that was the time that I was in high school and, like, probably, like, middle school, high school. And that's when, like, it starts to diverge. Like, are you going to keep playing? Are you going to stop? And I think it was probably either... I'm going to say one of the two, either Super Mario 64 or GoldenEye 007. (laughs) And I just spent so much of my, like my hours and my time playing those games and i was like all right this is that was the moment i, I remember wondering at that time like i wonder if this is something that i'm going to continue to do in my adulthood and i was like this is just so dope in general but <laughs> <that> i can't <laughs> imagine not doing this anymore so yeah huh. i would say that that's probably yeah the the definitely the super mario 64 golden i double seven smash bros so many hours spent on smash bros oh, so man. uh yeah yeah that era for sure wow. yeah those yeah
0: a lot a lot of gaming time just gone in those years (laughs) those formative years of gaming um i want to dig back a little bit into some of your work Mm -hmm. um i saw that you had done this really cool talk um over at the games of us conference Mm -hmm. uh, earlier in the year and you were talking about um kind of reducing the biases in user research yeah um in the time that you've been doing this and, in, in, you know, prior when you were doing some of your other work, mm-hmm. I think one of the coolest things about being able to come to the table and bring data, uh, data points to conversations that people don't necessarily think about uh, when they're kind of consuming the medium and or uh, kind of just being a part of the culture is taking that step back and looking at what their own practices are, you know, in their daily uh, time when they consume uh, this medium what is What has been some of the uh, things that you've kind of noticed um as far as trends maybe uh, that have been maybe you know we, we talk about you know gamers as this kind of monolithic thing mm-hmm. um, Have there been any trends or kind of data points that would kind of dispel some of the usual stereotypical things that we think about gamers as a whole that you know that 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 large group of people? Um, that you saw that kind of really um, uh, surprised you and or you know made you rethink about some of the things you you even thought about the kind of group of, of folks that we are.
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, when I I remember when I played games as a especially as a um, kid, teenager, and even into college and grad school, I remember feeling like I was the only girl, woman at the time who mm-hmm. played because uh, I didn't know a lot of other people you know who shared my gender identity who played games so a lot of times i played with mostly male groups i had mostly male friends that i played with um and um i remember uh around the time that i was doing some market research work and also when i started at xbox looking at some of our our data like just market research data across the genre that's been done by a variety of different firms and realizing like that's not actually the case there are a lot of women who play Mm -hmm. games. Um, and they play lots of different kinds of games. They play the, you know, sort of stereotypical core games, and they play mobile games, and they play PC games, and just all all, all throughout different kinds of genres. So um, I think that that's one of the things that I can see the industry is sort of thinking about and focusing on more. Um, I remember feeling like a unicorn uh, back in the day, being like a black girl who played games. It's like, okay, I'm literally the only person in the world who does this, right? Um, but uh, no, I can see that being a shift, and more people are pay- more more in- gaming companies and um, other you know members of the industry are paying more attention to just the diversity of gamers out there um and sort of incorporating that into the work that they're doing you know we're sort of it's it's the beginning like it's not you know perfect of course but we're definitely in a space where um we're noticing that there's so many diversified ways to play games um and ways that someone can be a gamer um and that's the other thing that i think we have been talking a lot about in just general is like not everybody who plays games identifies as a gamer Mm. and how do we capture those people Who uh, they play a lot of games, they might be in the audience that we really want to reach, but they don't identify as a gamer. If you ask them if they're a gamer, they'll say no. But then if you ask them, like, do you play, you know, Candy Crush or do you play Infamous on your phone or do you play, you know, whatever, even PC games, they'll say yes, but they don't identify as a gamer. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who say that they're not a gamer because they don't play FPS games. Um, mm. or they're not a gamer because they play 10 hours a week but they identify a gamer as someone who plays like 40 hours a week right um, so they have uh, all right. these like really um high bars for what they consider to be a gamer and that's why they kind of take themselves out of that pool um and so i think that that's one thing that i'm seeing like building awareness about is like how do we reach a wider variety of people who maybe don't identify with that like idea of being a gamer but who still are in that core right. audience they play our games they just don't right. call themselves a gamer so yeah, yeah. You can see that that on the rise, which is really dope.
2: Yeah, hmm. I, you know, i i I think that's really excellent because like that's that's like something that I've really enjoyed about like Nintendo's strategy um, over the years, starting with the Wii. Really is is that they've really tried to broaden out, you know, what it means to be someone that buys a console and plays games, sort of beyond what you would think of as a typical core gamer. So it's really good to see. That people at like your role at Microsoft, and I'm pretty sure like similar people at Sony as well, you know, are 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 thinking about that. Um, Now you talked about sort of like sort of like some of like the uh, gender dissonance of like of of you know of like what a typical kind of gamer is, and I really wonder. A lot of times when you see you know these like kind of like marketing things, I still feel like I get the sense that most gaming companies are still marketing. Certain kinds of games like the FPSs and the racers to the young male 18 to 35 crowd, even though that's not the only crowd that plays games. So, is I always wonder does that marketing come from the data and the user research that says these are the people that resonate mostly with this brand, or is it mostly sort of a well, like we've been doing this for a long time. And then back in the 80s, like we marketed everything to, you know, young white, you know, kids. And this is kind of what like we do. So like is like a lot of the, you know, the commercials, the advertising and the marketing that you see, is it data driven or like is it kind of like the like other way around that like you would get like a new like like a Forza and then only invite young guys to test it, you know, (laughs) Yeah. like like how does, how, how does that kind of work?
3: I think it's evolving over time a lot. I think that um, one of the things we talk a lot about and talked about in that bias um, talk that I gave um, is the difference between getting feedback from part of your audience and getting feedback from, from all of your audience. Um, And uh, you know, there's definitely market research done that looks across um, and we do know, you know, that gaming is kind of, especially specific games is kind of skewed male in certain areas um, but um, there's there's also definitely a, a case of where a lot of game um, developers will look at feedback from like the forums or look at feedback from Reddit or, you know, other kinds of social media outlets. Um, and though we know that those are disproportionately represented by men, by people who are in certain ethnic groups, people who come from certain backgrounds, um, they're much more likely to be vocal online and talk online. And so I feel like perhaps in the past, that's what um, people saw as like the, the kind of feedback that they got. right? Um, there's much more, I think, of an initiative now for people to look across and just say, who might we be missing um, by the current techniques that we're using and how can we reach out to those audiences and really look beyond? Um, and so it's, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think that it's always been data-driven in some ways, but I think that the, the way that we can collect data, we've got so many more tools now and so much more knowledge now. Um, that we can look more expansively across our audience and just say, hey, look at all these people who are here that we can now capture um, and and drive that a little bit more. Um, And so I know our team does some, definitely, we do some research into looking at, you know, sort of everyone's experiences. We definitely want people to be represented. I mean, that's what Gaming for Everyone is all about. Um, We know that there are other um, companies in the industry that have that same drive right now to sort of look um, broadly. And it's not expanding the market. The market was always there. It's just making right. sure that we're actually capturing the people who already play our games. Exactly.
1: So uh, if in in that vein, if you have a game that is resonating with a particular group as opposed mm-hmm. to the broader group as it was designed, mm-hmm. will will the developers or the producers go back and try and work on the things that you know wasn't resonating with another group if if the game is really hitting on you know your your research is saying that it's really really clicking with this type of of people and they Mm -hmm. fit into that you know quote-unquote core demographic Mm -hmm. um will they go back and change the mechanics or you know is that kind of a case-by-case
3: I mean, I think it's it's kind of a case by case, but I would say that in general, we we strive to be inclusive when we're doing games, and I can definitely see focus for that now. I mean, like I said, gaming for everyone, and I'm not just saying that as like a marketing spiel, but I can really <laughs> see it at like <laughs> I have to clarify, but I can actually see that as an in the atmosphere at Xbox. So it's something that like. We, and again, I know other companies are, are feeling this too. It's something that we, we want, you know, people to play our games. And when we say people, we really mean like everyone. So I've definitely seen situations before where, you know, I've talked to teams about like, um, you know, how can we make sure that we, we're reaching a broader audience? How can we make sure that um, people of all kinds can enjoy our games. How can we expand the set of offerings that we have in a specific game, whether it's mechanics or experiences or levels or whatever it might be to reach a variety of different types of people who might enjoy different kinds of experiences. It's definitely an ongoing conversation that we always have um, because no, we're never satisfied with just like, Oh, we've got this one little space right here. We're always about like, how can we just have more? It's really about fun and, and making sure that everyone is really enjoying stuff. So yeah, I would say that we're not really satisfied with being exclusive. We want to be as inclusive as possible.
0: Awesome. So I so I have a I have a maybe kind of off the wall question mm-hmm. and tell me if I'm stupid. <laughs> uh You're stupid. It, it went once I ask it. You're stupid. Thank you, Reef. Jesus Christmas. <laughs> so I was looking at I was I was going through the the video of, of you having that talk mm-hmm. and one of the things that kind of um that i was thinking about and mind you i was doing this while i was working so there were (laughs) lots of things going through my brain was we do focus on the kind of 18 to 35 demographic in that in that age group and you know whether it be male female um and and everyone in between uh being able to have those conversations about those folks playing and being a part of this culture Mm -hmm. but it never feels like Folks who are above those age ranges ever get kind of tossed into into the mix mm-hmm. because, you know, think about it. We're going to be of that group that, you know, you 10 years down already, the line, 20 years down the line. We're in that
2: group right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about, I'm talking about, but what, what, well, honestly, what I'm talking about is like the 55 and older crowd, uh, right? Uh-huh. Where I'm like, in 20 years, we're going to be there. See, in like another two, <laughs> we're going to be in the. <laughs> We're going to be in those age ranges where th- a lot of the marketing, a lot of the 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 you know the eye-hand coordination, a lot of the ways that we talk about games has already bypassed that sect- uh, section of folks. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, and maybe this is a thing that you have some data to, to point to, that kind of the gaming industry in and of itself has an ageism problem
3: mm-hmm. where they
0: never kind of deal with, folks who are in those age brackets because they feel like whatever the research has maybe been telling them that they don't deserve to be a part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like those things are being said maybe within the the, the kind of research and development uh, sectors of how maybe some of those folks can be catered to or at least brought back into the conversation at all?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, uh, well, I think part of it is as the industry Uh, grows up as well right so i mean gaming used to be like you know someone coding something cool in their basement or like an outfit of like five people who were all under the age of 25 like getting together to like write something and now it's like this massive (laughs) thing right with people of all ages working on games and all kinds of things so um i can definitely see that accelerating as well as time goes on like we're definitely talking more about Um, like I said, with gender or with race, like how can we expand our experiences to appeal to a lot of different kinds of people, including age-wise? And I think that, uh, you know, as the people who make games grow up, (laughs) um right, right. there's also going to be more appeal for that too i can hear those conversations happening already like when people talk about you know back in my day i enjoyed this kind of thing but like as i grow older <laughs> there's other kinds of things that i enjoy and maybe we should build those things into the game right so um there is actually some data um for example i think it's uh quantic foundry that did this research um that showed for example like as you get older um, your desire for competitive gaming goes down and right. you actually mm. like more cooperative and collaborative kinds of games. Um, so you might prefer like a PVE to a PVP environment or you might like a you know, a co-op mission rather than a you know, competitive uh, multiplayer situation. Um, and so I think that like that's one example. And there's other groups, of course, that have those kinds of splits as well. Um, but I think that that's something that people are paying attention to now that that information is out there and there's definitely some more attention being paid to, like, you know, as people get older and they want to continue to play games because, they you know, they've gamed all their lives. They're not going to stop. How right. do we, you know, push towards that? So, yeah.
1: Yeah, you can literally get too old for
3: that shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. The, the Twitch <laughs> respects just don't come anymore. Right. yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't.
1: And, it, you know, look, um, I I don't know about y'all, but sometimes when I get up, it sounds like I'm popping bubble wrap. You are not alone, and, my friends. Right, right exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm just brave enough to admit it. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> but but like I think I think part of part of the conundrum and part of that problem that that uh, Kyle was just talking about and you were just talking about Melissa is the fact that, um, you know, gaming's only a few years, honestly, older than me. Um, you know, I'm almost 55, right? <laughs> yeah, asshole, a yeah, Double nickel coming, <laughs> right? Like, right, that, that right? Double right. nickels exactly. coming up, right? Exactly. When, uh, you know, when I was sitting down and I was playing pong and was eating them uh, root beer barrels that were two cents. <laughs> 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 um, but but yeah, I mean, that is but, so black. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, so like the Pong system came out. Uh, the first one was in like '78. So if somebody was 10 years old then uh, in '68, they'd be 50 now. Mm-hmm. And if they re- if it really resonated with them, that's about the age where you feel like this is my thing. Mm-hmm. Um You know, they're they're just hitting 50. So those that subsection of people that were the earliest of early adopters is very, very small. Um, But it's getting larger Mm -hmm. as the people that are making, because a lot of those guys transitioned into actually making games and are running studios or, or, you know, influential still in this industry Mm -hmm. as those people start to get older and mature, the games that you see. And I think, uh, you know, testament to what we saw last week, Um, you know, with, with our great guests and, and what remains of Edith Finch, the games themselves are maturing. Um, and I think, I think we'll, we'll have stuff that we won't be too old for as we get older.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I also think what you say, see, is that's like sort of a, um, that's why there's been a lot of these like dad games, Sure. Like like everything from Last of Us, right. you know, um, right. to like right. Dragon Cancer, to like these kind of games that are, you know, sadly mostly about dads. You don't see a lot of mom stories. Um, but like I think a lot of it is because a lot of these people that grew up gaming, they're older, they got families. Right. And they're writing, you know, like uh, like their narrative, their designers, and this is what they're thinking about, mm-hmm. you know. And so like you're seeing a, a lot of like – especially dad and daughter kind of um, right. oh. um, stories now I think um, now I will I, I wanted to pick your brain a bit um, on what you think of sort of uh, gamification in things like education um, and uh, things like that so like I'm gonna be um, at a um, at a uh, conference called badge summit um, in uh, June right. and, and like I'm on a panel on gamification because I've been talking about this with like a lot of my academic friends as well about like how, like, you know, in their classrooms, how they feel like gamifying certain concepts and things like that. Everything from games that like, we're familiar with, like, you know, having a jeopardy, a jeopardy game to memorize, you know, history concepts, everything from that to like, actually like, you know, building things in twine and, you know, having actual, you know, um, RPGs to like, uh, get, um, you know, to, um, get content out to students Um, as a user researcher, is that something that um, you think is like something that is sort of a good trend, Um, you know, is, is like the data there that like you may have seen either in your work or in other work that you've read to sort of justify that, you know, that gaming can be a way to, 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 you know, to, um, to like get these educational concepts Mm To uh, to a people, I just wanted to get get like your sense on that.
3: Yeah, I love I love this question because one of the one of the titles I work on is Minecraft Education Edition, so I think a lot about this in my day to day. But uh, I think that I, I'm liking the trend of gamification because I feel like it means that teachers and administrators. Um, school districts are meeting kids where they're at instead of trying to force them to sort of fit into this mold of like, You're, you must learn in this particular way that we've been doing for years. They're trying to like mold the classroom to be more to the likes of the kids um, and more trying to get them engaged. Um, I think where some of the issues can come in sometimes is um, trying to gamify everything uh, and really mm. thinking really critically about like, what can we gamify? What does it make sense to do? um what are what are the and i mean i'm biased because i'm a researcher right but like what is the <laughs> where does the data come in here right so it's like what does it make sense to actually try to turn into a game um are kids actually being engaged by the games that we're making right or are we just introducing um another sort of boring element to the lives or are they bored by the things that we're doing right, right. so um, one of the things we talk all the time about is like we have to keep the fun right like is if a, game, a lot of times kids are turned off by things that come into school. Everybody remembers that one book that they probably would have read if they weren't assigned it in school, but they didn't want to read it because somebody told them they had to. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the same thing with, with games. Like if you, um, if you don't treat it delicately, I think there's a lot of times in which students can get bored with those things or they can, they can lose their luster a little bit. Um, so we talk a lot about maintaining the fun and keeping the kids engaged um, and making sure that it's being used appropriately. Um, but given that, there's, it's kind of a rising field in, in research right now, um, both on the academic side and sort of on the more applied uh, business side. Um, there's a lot of great data showing that gamification does work, um, especially when it comes to engagement, right? So it's getting kids mm. to pay attention, getting them to like work in groups, getting them to collaborate on things. Cause there's a lot of games, you know, working together um, is part of the, the core of the game and what you do. Um, so there, there's definitely some things going on there, but I, I like it. And there's a lot of uh, research that actually kind of goes along with like, you know, achievements and that kind of thing. It's like rewards. So people like getting rewards. Um, yeah. And if you give people little rewards for things, they, they're more motivated oftentimes. Um, again, it depends on the context and a whole lot of other factors, but like in general, um, that element of gamification can be really useful in classrooms too. Um, so I like it. I like the trend that it's going there again. You know, I love games and I love education. Those are like two things that are important to me. So I love it that they're coming together. Um, but I think we just need to, you know, making, make sure that we're keeping our eyes open when we're going to the classroom and really think about like, what are we gamifying? What are we putting in? Um, and making sure that it, you know, we actually are getting the outcomes that we want from that.
0: So. Hmm. I have, a, I have a twofold question. I'm sorry. I really like hitting you with a rapid fire. Right? <laughs> That's cool. So, yeah, so I have a twofold question um the first part of that is it it feels like and this is this is when you go to therapy you're like what i hear you say is (laughs) um and it it feels like the work that you do and the folks who are in your field have to both weigh equally facts and feelings right Mm -hmm. so it's like having to manage those those two things that are that are not diametrically opposed to each other they definitely do intertwine in lots of ways um in a world in which facts are becoming something that people don't care as much about. Um, do you feel like there is a, a, a part of when you're getting research done and then implemented and then, uh, I mean, and collected and then kind of disseminated throughout the, the, the process to the folks who you need to get that data to, do you feel like you often have to fight feelings to get the facts in in a way that is most useful to those folks? Or do you feel like people are just kind of willing to let the research do what it's supposed to do and kind of rock with it? That's the first question. Mm-hmm. The second question is, do you feel like in the, the, the world of technology where we're always kind of, especially in video games, butting up against, The kind of technological barriers that we see where everyone is like, well, we've gotten to this place and we can't get any better graphically or we can't get any better, you know, with the the control schemes that we've gotten. Do you feel like there is anything that hampers? You and the rest of the folks who are doing this kind of work from getting to other levels that you would like to possibly get to? Or do you feel like there's any technological barriers to getting research done in the way that you want to?
3: Okay. So I'll start with the first one um, feelings versus facts. Yeah. <laughs> um, so- <laughs> That, that's, that's always a thing right it's a thing with both the user side and with working with with teams in general and that's part of the communication aspect right so with the user side there's there's a difference between um collecting how a user feels about something and collecting how a user actually is using something right so mm. one of the hardest things is like user interface so like menus and stuff which we also do test like i said we use the shell even in games like if you can't you know remap the keyboard or if you can't navigate to like actually get to the settings you're not going to play the game because the ui is really important um and so we always talk about like the best user interface is one that's invisible right so mm. a user might say yeah this is great it looks pretty it's awesome um and then actually when you watch them go through it you realize that they can't actually navigate through it or that they're having issues finding what they want to find and that kind of thing so there's a there's a really big part of a researcher's life in separating out um, sort of like people's feelings and emotions around things, um, and people's actual actions and behaviors with things, and analyzing those separately, and sort of seeing what and what areas do they agree, and in what areas do they disagree. Um, and they often do disagree. Um, we also collect um, what we call telemetry data. So you know, if we're you know testing a level, and we can see exactly where people die, you know, where they flip the car over, where they ran off a cliff, uh, and so people can say, yeah, that you know that uh, map was really hard. Um, mm. I felt like the first part of it was the hardest part. Um, but really, when you go in, it's really the part right after the first part that was the hardest part. And maybe they're like <laughs> sliding or they didn't remember or like whatever. You know? So we have to like combine those feelings and the attitudinal data that we're collecting along with the facts that we're finding. Um, it's really important for us to measure people's attitudes because obviously we want people to have fun. That's kind of the point of their <laughs> playing games. Mm. Um, but we combine that with the behavioral data to give us like an enhanced view of like what's really going on here so we can understand how to improve that experience. When it comes to the communication side with talking to teams, I mean, uh, we have found our, our organization has been around for a while. Um, games research has been around like pretty much as long as the Xbox has been around. Um and so a lot of the teams wow. that we work with is kind of used or they're kind of used to like communicating with us, right, and getting user research data from us, right? So they've seen the value that we provide to them and the improvements that they put through the games. And so, you know, most of the time I feel like our teams are really receptive to the kind of things that we're suggesting to them or talking to them about um at the same time, you know, anything that you work on for a long time is like, that's your baby, right? It's like mm. you, you love it and you want it to, you know, you like you like the things that you put into it, all the work that you put into it, you value it. And so there's definitely like conversations that can be had around, um, you know, um, does this sort of the the data that we're getting match up with the vision that the team has for the game? Because that's our job, right? Our job is not, our job is to help the design team achieve their intent for the game, we're not designing the game ourselves. We're helping them design the game for what they intend the the experience they intend the users to have, the players to Mm -hmm. have. Um, And so really it's about helping them understand that like, we want to give you the best data that we can to help you achieve that intent um, and making sure that they know like our, our job is really to make, to make you happy and to make the experience the best that it can be. Um, And, and sort of, you know, getting around like, you know, um, general, holding on to like one specific way to do things, kind of expanding mm-hmm. their thought process around a variety of different things. Um, so that's where those sort of feelings um, can go with facts during the development process. Like I said, I, you know, I've had really great relationships with the teams that I've worked with. Like I said, they can see the value come out. Um, and one of the coolest things about working in this industry is seeing the fruits of your labor show up Hmm. like right away and millions of people are playing and you're like, I did that. Like that's, (laughs) I worked on that. So that's a really, really awesome feeling to see that happen. Um, and you know, it's one of the best parts about working with teams is like helping them think about research and users. I can hear people on my teams using language that I've sort of taught them or thinking about, um, you know, users or players in ways that like, I've sort of, you know, um, imparted to them for the first time. Um, so it's really cool to hear that kind of cultural change. That's how I know I've made impact. It's like when people understand uh, sort of research mm. concepts on a level. Um, and so the second question, I think I might have forgotten the gist of it.
0: <laughs> it basically, basically, like, are there – have you found that there have been any or do you see that there are any technological ba- uh, barriers to, to getting your work done that you didn't think that they would be there in the kind of game space?
3: Um, let's see. Technological barriers. I think that um, – One of the things that's, so we get a lot of lab data, which is great. Um, We need to sort of isolate that experience in the lab and sort of see how things are unaffected by things. Um, But a lot of times we want to actually see how things work in people's homes, right? Like we want to know what is it like for you to like, you know, when we release a beta, we want to collect information on that too. We want to know what the experience is like playing in your house because people are not going to play the games in our labs. They're going to play it in their home with whatever (laughs) setup they've got there. Um, and so sometimes that can be like a technological challenge is collecting the data from folks and getting them to, um, and I, that's kind of tech and kind of people related, right? Cause it's like motivating people to get on and take a survey. Um, mm. you know, after they play a game, you got to take 15 minutes away from playing the game to do the survey <laughs> for us. Like, you know, so that's kind of a challenge, um, and making sure that we, you know, sort of get that kind of stuff from folks, um, seeing it it's just in the wild, is the terminology that we like to use, um, seeing how that plays out. I'd say that's probably one of the, the biggest challenges. The tech is like less of a thing. I mean, there's always things that we like to do, but every day there's a new technological innovation, data science, and big data, all this kind of stuff that we can use right. to analyze mm. all the data. For us, it's really like reaching people where they're at, um, either to come into our labs to test with us. So we're always recruiting new folks to come in and test with us uh or whether it's like getting folks uh remotely to do um surveys or you know join in programs with us to give us their feedback cuz we want to hear from everyone so that's probably the biggest challenge there
0: Nice nice So before we keep going mm-hmm. we're going to we're going to take a break <laughs> let let everyone calm down the rapid fire will be put <laughs> on hold for a second we will take the spotlight off your head <laughs> and we'll be right back after this.
1: Yo yo, what's up, y'all? This is DMC in a place to be, the greatest MC in history, and the only place for me to ever be is right here
0: with Spawn on me. Rah! Hey there, listeners. I'm Ryan Miller, and I'm Matt Amberg. and we do the Zero Hit Points podcast every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. So if you got a need, a need <laughs> for video games, for video games take a trip over to zerohitpoints.com. We'll see you there. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode one sixty three of the Spawn of Me Podcast. We are rocking with Dr. Melissa Boone, hanging out, talking about a whole bunch of really cool nerdy things. Um, I know that before the break we were talking about kind of facts versus feelings. We were talking about technological advancement and and, and maybe some barriers that are that are in the space. Um See, I know you had a question coming in from the break. Uh, what, what did you want to well, jump Well, I
1: have uh, two things that I want to ask Melissa. Um, the first is, so you spend your 9 to 5 or 9 to 7 or 8 to 8 um, getting, getting people, uh, teaching people how to, to play games and finding out um, how they enjoy the games that they're playing. What do you do in your off time? What games do you play in your off time that make you feel the feels and make you, you know, uh, that you enjoy
3: playing? So, um, so right now, actually, so the, the context for this is that there was a period of my life between 2008 and 2014 when I was working on my PhD, so I didn't get to play a lot of the games that were coming out during that (laughs) period. And so now I'm going back and playing some of the ones that I missed. And so actually I'm in the middle of Mass Effect, um, the Mass Effect series. Um, because when Andromeda came out, I was like, I want to play that, but I probably should play the first thing first. I'm like halfway, (laughs) probably a little bit more than halfway through the second one. So that's like what I'm really rocking with right now. Um, I love that game. It's, I wasn't a a huge RPG fan before I played that. And that just like turned me on to being an RPG fan. I was like, this is awesome. Um, so I'm doing that. Um, I play Overwatch um, yes. so i love that game um i love i love it it's that like nice hybrid because i love shooters right but it's right. also um it feels more collaborative um a lot and i and i like that aspect that everybody has a different role in the team and you get to you know rock mm. with that so i've been playing that um i play um i've started horizon zero dawn um mm-hmm. which is beautiful and yeah. you know that game that game is awesome too Right. um so and also picked up assassin's creed the Ezio collection when it came oh, okay. out Oh, nice. um, so I'm, nice. I'm, do- I'm one of those people who like i'll start a game and then some t- some nights i'm like well let me play this other game so i'm always like halfway or through like four different games at a time right um and so that's <laughs> what i'm doing now i've got like a couple of different threads that i pick up when i want to um and i also play a lot of minecraft in my off time too because i just actually right. like
2: that
3: game
1: so when when you want to have conversations, and obviously you know you you work at Microsoft, so you guys are talking about literally talking about games, mm-hmm. um, all the time. Um, but when you want to talk about games in your private life, or or, um, or games that affect you on a personal level, if they do, do you have a group of gamers uh, of color that you're able to speak to, um, and if so, are they? there with you do you, you know can y'all sit over mm-hmm. some coffee because the seattle you, you know that's all you can drink some um, it, comes best. Out, right, it, comes, it comes out of the tap. Um,
3: coffee is legit one of the things that attracted me to move to seattle i was super <laughs> excited about it it's like oh my god all the coffee but um yeah so i've picked up um groups so i'm like an internet denizen so i started on the internet when i was a kid and so i've built up a group of like folks that i talked to online about games um uh, sure. people of color online that i found in like you know different online communities and stuff but uh no there's a bunch i mean i've met lots of people of color in the area and because seattle's such a geeky town uh one of the things that's just the case is a lot of the black people who live here are just dorks so like they play right. video <laughs> games <laughs> they play <comic laughs> like they you know right. they're my kind of folk um so there's actually a group at um at xbox you actually met a lot of them khalif at the blacks and gaming event um it's called mm-hmm. blacks at xbox oh, okay. um and so we formed each other just because um the leader of it just felt like you know all the black people who worked at xbox should know each other because um, we're all there but just right. as a place where we could all come together and like talk about what we were playing and like talk about you know work stuff and initiatives for people of color at xbox and that kind of thing but also like just so that we would have you know other people of color from there Um, as well. And through that, I've met other folks. And so that's kind of the team that at work when we're talking about games, like we play together, uh, we talk about games together, we have game discussions together. Um, And so that's like a a nice source of folks that I can talk to, like even at work during my work time for that. Um, And as I go to like different networking events in Seattle and stuff. I meet more people of color that I can chat with about games and stuff too. So yeah, the network is there. Network is there. So are the
1: the blacks at Xbox? I'm sorry, Reef. The blacks at Xbox. um, If y'all all all were together, would you travel on a unicycle, a bicycle, or
2: a Warhol tandem bike? Right.
1: Um, Could you be on a like? Would you fit a bus?
3: Or would you just uh, all sit in the back how your big show? is the bus <laughs> right um we, we could we could fill a bus I oh think, word that's maybe. very dope yeah yeah actually that's i think we could dope. yeah wow. i mean I,
2: I guess so that's one thing i really like about these larger companies though is that a lot of them that i'm familiar with at least like the you know google's and facebook's mm-hmm. and they, they all have these special interest groups right? so they mm-hmm. have you know their African American interest groups, Asian American interest groups and like they're like women's interest groups um, so like yeah yeah so like I was hoping that Microsoft would have you mm-hmm. know a, a similar thing so I'm glad that, that they do and I hope that like you guys just get together and try to do the
3: best Coltrane impression uh, <laughs> you know, yeah so we definitely talked about yeah, we've definitely talked about doing things like being black in public, where we just like all group up in a specific area and just like, hey, look, there's a big group of black people here. Come sit with us. Talk to us. Right. Um, <laughs> literally just being black in public so people know there's a critical mass of us that are here. Right. Um, but yeah, there's blacks at Xbox and there's also a larger blacks at Microsoft group. Oh, so this um, is Across a the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, well, it's a, cool. it's a smaller group, so it's a completely separate group. But there is a blacks at Microsoft group and they do lots of things. I mean, we do um, intern mentoring over the summer and we have interns of color come in. Um, we do, you know, different kinds of uh, social events. We, you know, touch out with HR about things. Like there's a whole lot of representation on that level. Yeah. So that's pretty cool.
2: That that is very awesome. Um, so like you talked a bit about sort of like building this like internet, like community that, you know, that like you can like rely on to socialize Mm -hmm. and like talk about things. Um, I'm assuming that like you also have sort of your academic circle, you know, that you gather while you're doing like your doctorate. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times when I talk to people in the games industry, their immediate family, you know, cousins, parents, siblings, they have no idea what they do. <laughs> like, they literally think that, that, like, they just play play games all day. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do your family get it? You know, do, do they know that, like, you're doing this and, like, you're a user researcher and you're actually using your degree in a games environment mm-hmm. or, like, are... Are our, our, our lady, like, man, she, she just play games.
3: <laughs> uh, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, when I first started, that's definitely the question that I got asked the most often. As a matter of fact, when I meet new people and I tell them what they do, that's the question I get almost all the time. So you just play games all day, and I'm like I wish somebody would pay me to do that, but no. <laughs> um, so my family, um, they were super hype when I got the job because they're all all my cousins are gamers. Like that's actually oh, who sweet. taught me how to play when I was a kid. Was like, growing up yes. with my cousins, um, but they just knew. Like she works at Xbox, that has something to do with developing games. We don't really know what. Um, and I've had several conversations with them to try to get them to understand what I do, and I think. They know that I test games. That's the way that they sort of conceive of it. Um, and that I help make the games better by testing it with people. And I think that's, you know, that's a good base level, you know, explanation of what I do. So they, they kinda get it. Kinda get it. There's some people in my family who get it a little bit more than others, I'd so, say. Yeah.
0: yeah. One of the most interesting things that I've thought about in terms of the kind of Xbox ecosystem, you know, you talked about working a little bit on some of the Halo games and, and, and doing some of the, the, the Minecraft parts of it. Do you and your team get to talk to the folks in the Xbox Live team? Is there any cr- cross-collaborative uh, stuff in there? Because I feel like, for me, I'm always super interested to find out what things that are going to be happening, both in the kind of technological spaces that go on with Live and okay. then also with the <clears throat> with the moderation spaces that go on with Live okay. and trying to figure out how to, you know, make things a little bit easier for everyone but especially folks of color mm-hmm. you know if you've ever been in ever been in a party chat you're like that's a new compound cuss word that i didn't know that's awesome <laughs> um so so how's the cross collaboration between you know the team that you're working on in that respect kind of build out to to, to, to xbox at, at large and then some of those other user groups
3: yeah so our our um research team is really focused on the xbox experience in general so we have some specific Mm. areas that we're focused on right the games the content um and also the platform but so much of that intersects with you know xbox live services and, and that kind of thing that we we have to be like we have to know what they're doing we have to be able to talk to them and partner with them um and so yeah we have relationships with different you know um aspects of support um teams live and you know that kind of thing to to do the work that we do i mean we talk about it in everything from multiplayer and how does multiplayer work on the surface and how does that interact with xbox live to um talking about um people's experience interacting on clubs um and looking for group and i mean all of that is integrated into the platform and into the game so we have to mm. talk with those folks and i mean they, it's, it's a great relationship. They they also look to the data and they love having like that kind of data to support the work that they're doing. It's a, it's a great like sort of collaboration um, to make the engines work. And I really feel like a lot of times I tell people like most of my job, the, the experimentation, the testing is an obviously an important part of my job because I'm a researcher, but really the communication and bringing teams together. Oftentimes I'm like the liaison between like, you know, the Xbox Live team and the game that I'm working on and like you know, I make sure that both parties understand sort of how things work together in the user experience. It's kind of like the glue that holds that together in some ways. Um, they've got their own partnerships and relationships as well, but a lot of the user experience comes together at the intersection of those things. So, yeah, there's that's a big part of my job.
0: That's dope. But,
3: um,
2: Do you anticipate like an increase in the need for user research? Um, since we're going into this era with things like the PS4 Pro mm-hmm. and the Scorpio, where you have these like mid-generation upgrades, where they're not truly the next console, they're kind of mm-hmm. like these mid-generation steps. So, like, do you feel like the the user research field, that like that's going to be a lot more demand mm-hmm. on your function because now not only do you have to do you know the games for the quote unquote normal console, but you mm-hmm. also have to do it for this for this newer console, which is going to be a different UI. Difference, you know, all the, all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. like, do you think that it's more that like you'll have to have increased demand, or you can kind of kind of leverage what you've already done with with these new kind of like mid mid generation mm-hmm. stuff?
3: This is my favorite question because I love to tell folks that I feel like the next frontier. You know, right now, software development is like the hot job. And I feel mm. like maybe I'm making this up in my head, especially with thinking, but I feel like the next frontier is like social science and research, right? Because as people engage with more technological devices, we collect more data on them. There's more networks for them to play on. There's more need to understand how people are actually interacting with those things. Like you can make a really pretty shiny thing, but if nobody understands how to use it, then you know, nobody's going <laughs> to use it, right? Um, and so I just feel like there there will definitely be more of a need for you know user researchers across the industry to... Understand how people um, use the different devices, what's the differentiator between them? Um, you know, people who use both, what are their comparison points? Like people who use um, just a variety of different devices that you can game on, whether you're talking about powerful things like the Pro or the Scorpio, or you're talking about mobile phones getting ever more present in the, in the area. PC gaming, like there's definitely going to be more of a need to understand what are the differences between those? What are the commonalities? What are the motivators behind people selecting one kind of platform to play on another. Uh, who moves across things, right? Because we know people play mm. on more than one device, right? Um, I've seen people, like, playing an Xbox and they've got uh, a mobile phone next to them and they pick it up every five minutes to check on whatever game they're running in the background. Like, I've seen people <laughs> play two games at once. and like, this blows my mind. Like, how can you concentrate? Um, but yeah, I just foresee definitely more of a need to understand, like, all of those factors about human behavior and the, and the user experience when doing all of those different things. It's like techs proliferates
0: in our
1: lives so Mm. So we we've talked about um what you'd like to see um or, or what you think is the kind of the future of 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 things um when you look at some of the new technologies that we do have on the horizon or that are that are here uh you know virtual reality uh there are games like pokemon go where they they you know Create a, this augmented reality and get people up and moving. Mm-hmm. Um, the the product that's still hooked up to my Xbox that I use every day, Connect, um, mm-hmm. is, is something that that was supposed to be up get get people up and moving and mm-hmm. and interacting with their with their media in a, in a very different way. What what do you see on the horizon from a personal perspective? What is it like if you closed your eyes and you said this would be so, if we could integrate this into my favorite genre of game,
3: mm. <laughs> so my uh, when I first you know used a VR headset, the first thing I thought was, oh man, Overwatch would be so dope in this thing. <laughs> 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 uh, but so no, I right? mean, if I'm talking about like me personally, like yeah. virtual reality and first-person shooters, that just sounds amazing, and I want that in my life. Right. <laughs> that would be my
2: oh, answer yeah. right. that would be crazy that would be crazy I, yeah. I, want, I want to be in that diva mech right. yeah, that would be, dope. That'd be right. dope yeah
1: who is your main by the way
3: um, I would actually say I, I like to switch a lot but I would say Diva actually is my main um, yeah she's okay. per, probably the person I pick the most often mm-hmm. All right. I still don't
0: understand why people hate on Hanzo mains so much everybody hates <laughs> on Hanzo mains everybody hates I on love Hanzo it. mains
3: yeah Probably could. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I hate on so, Han means because I'm not good with him. So I just get right, mad when other yeah. people like can sh- like shoot me from a distance. That's everybody else's mad. That's everybody else's
0: So we're about to get up out of here. Um, and you know, one of the things that we're going to be doing again in the next couple of weeks—God, it's like less than a month away at this point—is going to E3. Um, besides Scorpio stuff that's going to be coming up, and and all the other things that are mean, happening. The Xbox One so. Infinite. Shut your face, that's not (laughs) going to be the name of that console anyway. Shout out to Paris Lily right. anyway, <laughs> um, what are some of the things that you're excited for for e three because it's like it's like gamer, you know Christmas when e three rolls around. Yeah. what's what are some of the things you're super excited about coming down the pipeline?
3: I mean, I'm such a geek, a user research geek that like my main excitement around e three is reading people's reactions to what's coming down the huh. pipeline, right? I love going on the news sites and looking at the comments or going through reddit threads and just seeing like, people's reactions and like what's the buzz going on like i don't even i mean i read the news stories themselves but really i just want to see what people think about stuff like what people are excited about like i just and i love to see i mean you know i work at xbox but i love to see like the 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 flourishing of the of the gaming industry like just the new Mm -hmm. stuff that's coming out there's such a vitality that like is around e3 like you can feel it in the air starting like mid-may like people get really excited about what's (laughs) coming there's all these news stories people get hyped um, and I just love that it's such a freshness that comes into the industry. So that's really what I'm excited about is, like, people's reactions, um, yeah. seeing that, seeing how people, like, reconnect with gaming, like, just knowing that there are, like, millions of people who, like, watch it at home on their streams and, you know, engage with all the press that happens. That's, like, seriously what I'm most excited about.
0: Yeah. It's going to be a good time. Yeah. Are you, are you going, you're going to the big show? I am
3: not going to the show. I will be... I will no. be you can imagine that it is a busy time around Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> So there are several things that we do, you know, we have to do at home to make the whole thing work. And so um, we, I will not be at the show, but there will be people from my team there and you know, um, it'll be, it'll be awesome time. And I always love watching it. Um, with my coworkers workers uh, to experience
0: what's going on there so yeah nice yeah nice 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 mm-hmm. well melissa thank you so much for coming on this show and hanging out with us this has been a blast so
3: much fun yeah. i've really enjoyed myself
0: i'm so happy i was like
3: come on the show at the big event yeah. Please come on the show.
0: <laughs> so we we definitely want to have you back we, we talked about it before mm-hmm. but we got to have you on for the next for the next blackademics absolutely uh, sure that we do because yeah. that will be phenomenal the internet will not know what to do with <laughs> yes. uh, so before we get up out of here is there anyone that you want to give a shout out to do you want to share your social media uh stuff if you if you would like to you, no, no obligation to do so uh, <laughs> but if you'd like to share your social media stuff so people after they hear your dope appearance here can follow up and send you a follow or shout you out yeah on
3: social media. so i'm such a dinosaur um i actually have a twitter it's at the ruby valkyrie um, but I don't update it that often. I mostly like follow other people and retweet. So you guys can follow me there if you want to, but it'll be mostly like retweets of other stuff. <laughs> um, and no, I just shout out to like my whole team at Xbox research. Honestly, like I love them. I we're like a big family. I love working with them. It's awesome. Um, and they make the work that I do possible. So, um, just shout out to them. It's a great, it's a great time. I love being there. Hope to be there for many more years.
0: Word up, word. See yeah. Get us up out of here with the social media business. Bunch of chewy. Uh so if you guys uh well oh yeah, man, it's it's
1: uh it's Star Wars time, man. It's Star Wars month. Forty years ago this month. The greatest movie franchise of all time was created. So, you know, uh, kiss my grits. Uh, you're the old man. <laughs> um, so anyway, media, social media businesses as <laughs> follows. If you want to follow us on Twitter, go to at spawn on me. You want to follow us individually, go and check our bios. Our information is right there. Uh, you want to listen to the show, you can go to iTunes or Overcast or Google Play. Um, you know we're we're everywhere. Wherever your favorite podcatcher is. Wherever that place is, if you can subscribe, please do so. If you can rate and review, please do so. That really, really, really helps us out. Um, we'd appreciate it. Uh, go check us out on ESN.FM slash me or SpawnOn.me. You can find our shows, find uh, appearances like, uh, like Reefs, uh, Cons Everywhere. Um mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, all all our good stuff, all everything that we're doing, you can find there and past episodes. If you want to send us a message that's longer than 140 characters, you can go to me podcast at gmail.
0: dot com. Look at you, son, like wow. Don Cornelius.
2: <laughs> Look at you. I've never heard Roof, of any, la- any last any last thoughts, Reef. Uh, yeah. no, man. I'm I'm just super hype. Like like I love data too. I've been in IT for a long time and. Now I'm doing the tutoring thing, so I just I'm just so hyped from this conversation. Like I'm I'm super excited. I just love nerdy. I'm about to jump into SQL database and start querying. Yes!
3: <laughs> I'm so sad that I'm excited about
0: that. <laughs> we need we need the Van Zandt query my life thing to make a real thing. Anyway, thank you everybody in Chicago. Thank you again for listening to our show this week and every week, and we will say peace. Peace. Hey...